When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just like that, the second hour is here. Glad you're with us for Outkick 360. Hutton and Withrow, 6th and Peabody, our location. Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Coming up, we'll get into the NFL Award finalists that have uh, been announced. We'll discuss Brandon B and his comments on building the Bills roster compared to Cincinnati. Clay Travis joins us in about an hour and a half. Pleased to be joined, though, as we kick off hour number two by Mike Quick. He is the Eagles analyst and also former NFL wide receiver. Mike, great to chat with you, man. Hope things are well. Jonathan, things are great over here. How about you? Yeah, can't, can't complain. I'm sure they are watching the receivers that you get to uh, uh, break down each and every week. <laughs> um, we knew, we, we know, we're in Nashville right now. Um, we know A.J. Brown yeah. is really, really good. Did you think he was going to produce to this level based on what they paid him and pairing him with Devontae Smith because you've got two 1,000-yard receivers in the same season for the first time in franchise history? So, yeah, I just – I was excited about the move when Howie Roseman, the GM, made the move to go get uh, A.J. I expected him to be good, but I didn't expect this. He's – He's better than advertised. He's better than I expected. Um, I didn't watch a lot of him when he was at Tennessee. Um, but I just, uh, I, I didn't see this coming. He's really good in a lot of ways. Um, and that, the, the two of these guys together, he and Devontae, I call them the dynamic duo because they're different. But at the same time, they're so productive in what they bring to the party. Yeah, and, and pairing him with Devontae Smith, it feels like such a luxury, but Mike, you know, receivers know receivers and what other receivers need and what teams need from that position. Did you feel like this offseason yes. that that the Eagles needed A.J. Brown or that this is a real luxury to have A.J. No. Brown? No, it's perfect. I felt like the Eagles needed a veteran guy in that room, someone who's been in the battle before, knows how – to do things, knows how to lead the way for a young group of receivers. And he really fits the bill perfectly. And physically, he's a different dude. He's able to make plays. He can have guys hanging on him. He's still going to make plays. You can't bump him at the line because he's too strong. He's fast enough to get downfield on on guys. Um, And you've got Devontae, who's just so skilled. He's small and, you know, he's skinny. He's skinny Batman, he, and AJ is swole Batman, <laughs> and, then, and they're calling Quiz fast Batman. <laughs> so these three Batmen, uh, they all bring their own little thing to the party, but they're, they're so, I think it's such a good combination of wide receivers, these three young men. Eagles are good everywhere, Mike. Where, where is their weakness? What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. 
It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Uh, probably depth in some areas. This team is really not, uh, uh, they're so well built. Uh, there's, this is one of the most well-constructed teams in my mind that are, that's in the National Football League. Offensive line good, D-line's good. Uh, where could they be weak? They really don't have, I can say this, early in the season, special teams weren't really producing. Uh, now special teams, they've caught up and they are kind of up to par. They're not overwhelming. They're, there's nothing great about special teams, but they're not putting you in a bad situation. And earlier in the season, they were doing that. I just, I think in some areas, depth might be an issue. But the overall, when you line up 22 on offense or defense, I, I think they stack up with any team in the National Football League. Oftentimes you'll get uh, talking about a unit saying, well, this is a very good defensive line or this is a really good offensive line. But I feel like it's not that often with the offensive line that they're sort of a unanimous best offensive line in the NFL. I hear that moniker time and time again for this Eagles offensive line. Mike, do you agree with that? And if so, what makes this offensive line so special for the Eagles? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I believe that they are. It's hard for you to show me five guys that are as good as these guys. I think Jason Kelsey is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'll start with him, the center. He's not a big guy, but his mobility is just off the chart. And all five of the guys that start, they're, they can move. They not only can they maul you at the line of scrimmage when you pull these guys out on the perimeter, they're really good perimeter blockers because they're such good athletes. Jordan Maialata, um, a guy who had never played football before five years ago, didn't even know how to put the uniform on, but he's six eight, three hundred and seventy pounds, and it's just amazing to watch this man move all of that size and weight, the way he's able to move it. Landon Dickerson, the, the kid that they drafted out of Alabama two years ago, he's going to the Pro Bowl this year, and he has been phenomenal. Um, I knew that he was going to be good. He's exceeded anything that I thought he would be. Isaac Samalo, the right guard. Lane Johnson probably should be a Hall of Famer when he's done with this game. You know, Lane started in football as a quarterback, went to tight end, so you know he's an athlete, and now he's one of the best right tackles in all of football. You line up all five of those guys and then backing them up, Cam Jurgens, the kid that they drafted out of Nebraska, Jack Driscoll, it's just a solid group of players. Now, you get all of that talent and you get a Jeff Stoutland, probably one of the best offensive line coaches in football, 
just kind of molding these guys and putting together a scheme that makes this running game really dynamic. And they, they use all of these cool angles to block people and shield guys off. And it, it, they're just fun to watch. You know, I'm, I grew up on the outside wide receiver and playing the skilled position, but I've never enjoyed more watching offensive line play as I do now. Mike quick is the Philadelphia Eagles radio analyst. He joins us on outkick 360. Mike, there's nothing really not to like about what Jalen Hurts has done on the field. Uh, What I came away with early this season, he's having some great performances. He starts to get mentioned in the MVP conversation and just his presence, how consistent he was with the media during the week, at the podium after a a, a big win, where he's, he's almost speaking to the locker room while speaking to the media. And that's very rare nowadays, especially at the quarterback position throughout the league. In a prove-it year, what has impressed you the most about the Eagles QB? Um, where do I begin? He, he's really impressed. So the way he handles everybody, he is a guy that, I don't know, is he 25? But maturity-wise, He's well beyond his years. He's like an old dude when you look at him and you, 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 the way he handles himself, the maturity level that he appears to be at, even more mature than the head coach of the team. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just the the way he handles, you mentioned it, the players as well as the media, the guy is just a pro. And I just did not see that happening so quickly. Now I know that he's talented, and I knew, and I felt like he would eventually become a good player. But no one saw this the the way he's ascended in such a short period of time. I don't think anyone could have said that this was going to happen. But we're watching it, and we're watching this guy just right in in our. Eyes. I think Brian Johnson really helped the quarterback coach because they go all the way back from when Jalen was a kid. And Johnson's with him all the time. And I think he's really helped him to grow as a pro. But the other intangibles that are, that are there, they were already put in by his father and coaches when he was a little guy. You know, his, car, his father being a high school coach and coaching him through high school and just being around the game all of his life, I think that has a lot to do with who he is right now. So many NFL coaches, I can't really separate them from a personality standpoint. They all kind of sound the same at times. Not the case with Nick Sirianni yeah. and, and his personality. What has that personality brought to this Eagles team, <laughs> especially being that type of personality and that type of guy in the head coaching position for that team? I, I just think he's fun. You know, he's young enough still that he really relates to the players, and I think it starts there. Um he holds people accountable. Uh, and that, to me, is really important. And he's going to back these guys. If something's going on, Nick's going to take – Nick's going to have their back. He'll take bullets for them rather than putting them out there and um, having the media or have, having us blame the player. Nick wants to take the blame. Um, but if you watch him on the sideline during games, he's just being himself. The guy has a lot of fun. He gets excited sometimes a little too excited, but it's who he is. And one thing I've learned about being in locker rooms, you can't hide who you are. And if you're not being who you are, then players are going to know that. And 
you don't get the same level of respect from players if you're trying to be somebody else. Nick is who he is. He's very relatable. Um, and he's a very, very, very smart football mind. Mike, can you explain what playoff football is like in Philly and what Brock Purdy is in for as he hits the road this weekend as the quarterback of the Niners? Yeah, I think it's going to be like nothing he's ever dealt with. I I just, you know, football in general, when you get to the NFL, it's a little bit different. And I know he's played in some big games, but at Iowa State, it's a little bit different than going to Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. And and there's one game separating you from going to the Super Bowl. Um, The crowd is going to be stoked. It's going to be a crazy environment. and uh, I just think it's di- a difficult place to play even in the regular season. But when you get to where the stakes are as high as they are, uh, I-, I think the the 12th man being that crowd will try to make things difficult for the entire 49ers team. So it, I, I'm sure that it will be something that he's never witnessed before. Two great defenses going head to head here as well in this matchup on Sunday. I'm, I'm curious when when, yes. Philly, when Philly has lost this year, and it, again, it's only happened three times, twice without Hurts. When they've lost, though, Mike, what's been the common denominator? And if you're defending this offense, how do you think San Fran matches up with Philly? So I think the common thread on game set it was just the mistakes on their own part. Uh, when they when they are buttoned up, when they've got everything, making the the correct calls, correct assignments, doing things the right way, um, they've been a pretty dominant team. Um, wait, what was the other part to the question? Well, just how the Niners have match up against what Philly can do offensively. Oh, it's, it's a great matchup because the Niners are great. You know, it's it's the number one defense in football for a reason. They are, you know, across their front, they are extremely good. Nick Bosa, uh, you know, he's the best pass rusher in football right now. He leads the NFL in sacks. And uh, across the board up front, they're really good. But I think they've got perhaps the best two linebackers in football, um, Fred Warner and Drake Greenlaw. These guys are unbelievable football players. I think if the Eagles are going to win this game, it's going to be the dynamic duo that I talked about earlier, Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. I think when you match them up with the corners on the outside, I think that's where the Eagles have an advantage. And um, aside from that, the the Niners defend the middle of the field extremely well. I I think the Eagles are going to have to work the ball outside the numbers. Uh, to really be effective against that defense and just try and spread that defense out. Because when if they can get you to bunch in inside the numbers and play in that space, they're really good and they're hard to move the football on. Better matchup if the Eagles advance, Chiefs or Bengals, and why? Well, I kind of would like to see the Chiefs just because Andy Reid Going against his old team, I think, would be a lot of fun. <laughs> I think that would just like, yeah, that would be a lot of fun for, you know, especially for the people in Philadelphia. But I do believe that Cincinnati, given the fact that 
their quarterback in Kansas City is not going to be at full strength. I think that Joe Burrow and what's going on in Cincinnati right now, I think they can win the game. And I think it could very well be the Eagles and the Bengals in the Super Bowl. Mike, you played in Philly and, and you thrived, and everyone knows that Philly fans have a certain reputation. Um, do you find that it no. takes a certain? <laughs> do you find that it takes a certain type of player uh, mentally to thrive in a place like Philly and and star for for the Eagles? And when you look at the makeup of this team, are you seeing that being consistent with this group in terms of playing for this fan base? Yeah, absolutely. I, it starts with you can't have too thin or skinned. If you're thin skinned. Um, this is not the place to play. And a perfect example is the kid that played basketball for the Sixers, uh, Ben Simmons. Uh, he's in New York. Yeah, Ben Simmons in New York now. You just can't play in Philadelphia if you're thin-skinned because when things don't go well, the fans here are going to tell you about it. Now it's up to you if you're going to if you're man enough to go fix it. Or if you're going to go into a shell, and when guys go into a shell, that it usually just keeps going the wrong direction. So Brandon Graham, great example, Brandon Graham early in his career, um, he, the fans thought that he was a bust, and they were giving it they, to Brandon Graham. Well, he bounces back, and now he's probably one of the most beloved players that ever played in Philadelphia because he worked hard, he put his head down, and he just started to work hard and playing better. And once he started to play better, he got the, you know, people love Brandon Graham now. People in Philadelphia, Brandon Graham could do no wrong. Um, you know, not to mention the fact that he sat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl that the Eagles won. So he'll always have that. Never have to buy another beer anywhere in Philadelphia because he, because he was that guy. But you just have to play hard. You don't, you don't have to always win, but if you're playing your hardest, if they see that you're giving it all, fans in Philadelphia are going to love you. Yeah, they want you to win, but there are a lot of times that during my career, we didn't win, but the fans came out, the fans loved on us because we were busting it. We were giving everything that we had and trying to win every game. But you cannot succeed, in my mind, in Philadelphia if you're not doing well and, you're, and you have thin skin. Former NFL wideout and the radio analyst for the Philadelphia Eagles, Mike Quick, has been our guest. Mike, thank you for the time and perspective, and uh, enjoy the championship weekend there. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank Thanks, you. Mike. Uh, more good news for the Eagles. You don't have, uh, once again, Jalen Hurts, not on the injury report after the first day of practice. Neither is A.J. Brown, who had a lower body injury is what they called it last weekend well that second throw of the game against the Giants was and it was I think complete but it was the yeah. longest throw he had attempted since the shoulder injury didn't try it in practice and he uncorked it and it looked fine so that's great news for the Eagles only two players on their injury report just limited in the walkthrough practice for Philadelphia coming up we'll get into the NFL awards and the finalists for the the major ones across the NFL and Brandon Bean, general manager for the Bills. There's been some trash talk back and forth between the Bengals and the Bills. It was going on prior to kickoff last week. It continues. And things have picked up based on what the Bills GM uh, had to say about how the Bengals became one of the NFL's best teams. That's next on Outkick 360.
I was very entertained by Chad trying to describe Game of Thrones during the break. Yeah. Someone who's never seen it. Haley. Um, Haley, who said, she, I, and I quote, has I, everyone, I don't like Dungeons and Dragons but, BS, but so I probably fair. wouldn't like it. That's fair. And Hutton and I were trying to say, yeah, I get that. I don't either, but here's why you will like it. Has everyone else in studio watched Game of Thrones? I guarantee oh, you Colin, has not. Colin has not. That wow. shocks me. That shocks me. Brooke hasn't either. Tyler? Tyler, yes or no? Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Wow. Man. I don't watch much TV at all, and I've seen, I've, I was hooked on this. I, f- I felt like there'd be maybe two people. I knew Matt would not have watched it, but I feel like maybe <laughs> two people would not have watched Game of Thrones. I, I definitely guessed Matt correctly. What do you think Matt watches? Uh, Brooke doesn't surprise me too much that she hasn't watched. Um Tyler surprises me. Me too. Tyler and I have similar interest in, uh, in shows. <laughs> I, we, we give each other recommendations back and forth. So I, I think he'd like it. It's, it's more, what did I tell Haley? It's more about power than it is Dungeons and Dragons. It's about yeah. families and people vying for power. And uh, there's just a lot of crazy stuff going on around that. Look, the, the end there, of there the, are supernatural elements. Like there's magical things that happen on the, the show. The end of the first season hooks you. That's like it. You're kind of going along with it, and then you're like, "What? Hang on, they did what with the writing of the show? It's it's very good." I also mentioned that the show—it's uh, a very high bar for the uh, prequel to live up to. Yeah, I mentioned that the show features incest as well, and uh, the very end of the first it's episode. It it's got anything you need? Not just you don't have to wait for the end of the first season. Not if you remember yeah, the fir- end, right. end of the the pilot. Yeah, uh, you get hot and heavy into that, and you're like, "Oh, okay. Well, didn't know this is this kind of show." So it's highly entertaining, though, is how I would describe it. The, uh, the budding rivalry between the Bills and Bengals, highly entertaining. Um, the, the trash talk. If Eli Apple is trash talking you, you've got problems, right? Like this guy, uh, he's, he's usually on the opposite end of uh, reasons why people are bragging and boasting um, when they are going head-to-head one-on-one with him. He's doing all the bragging this week. He's doing it post-game. And... Brandon Bean, the Bills general manager, was asked about the structure of Cincinnati, how the Cincinnati Bengals have been built compared to how Bean has gone about building up the Bills, and here's his answer. Anything that Cincinnati does, I'm thinking about those receivers, that type of, do you see anything from them that suggests that's a trend that we need to kind of adapt to moving forward in order to close that? No, they have a good team. I mean, um, they right now are on the advantage of a rookie quarterback contract. And, you know, they had some lean years and without getting too much into their build. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to suck bad enough to have to get Jamar Chase. Like, he's a heck of a talent. I'd love to have him, but you got to, you got to go through some lean years to do, to do that. And, you know, they, you know, they were able to get Burrow one, and I don't remember where Chase was drafted, but it was pretty high. Like, And those guys are on their rookie deals. We're paying Stefan Diggs a pretty hefty number. We're paying Josh Allen a pretty hefty number. So there is the constraints of the cap. Um, but they have, a, they have a really good team, and they got some good young players. So what he's saying is 100% accurate. But in, when you add it into the fervor of what that rivalry is becoming, I think it is a, a nice rivalry now, uh, mainly because the players are you know, connected through the DeMar Hamlin 
issue in week 17. Yeah. But also the individual players are willing to call out one another. Diggs is one of them who will talk trash with anybody. Um, what he's saying is accurate. When you add it into the overall back and forth, it's very intriguing how he mentions Chase and how bad the Bengals had to get in order for them to be able to have Burrow and Jamar Chase. It's tailor-made for some great social media team trolling from Cincinnati yeah, on their side about, exactly. man, glad we sucked well enough to get this guy the moment Jamar Chase scores a touchdown against the Chiefs, so you're probably going to have some of that. But I'm with you in that this it's being made too big of a deal about what Brandon Bean said. A lot of people are saying, oh, he's petty. It's not a jab. Yeah, he's just jealous and this and that. He's really not. When you listen to what he's saying and how calm he is and he's trying to explain it, this is where the Bills are. You have There's two different ways to go about it. Bills got the seventh overall pick, and they took Josh Allen. That's worked out. So they had a good core around him. So they start to build and build. Eventually, they go to an AFC championship. They don't win it, but they know they have a team that can compete for a Super Bowl at that point. So you go spend big in free agency. You trade for guys. You know, you, you, you bring in Von Miller, Stefan Diggs, who he mentioned. You're paying veteran guys a lot of money. That's one way to sustain a window of time where you can win a Super Bowl. The other way to go about building a roster is sucking. And that's what Cincinnati did. They were terrible. They got the number one overall pick. That number one overall pick was Joe Burrow. He might be the best quarterback in the NFL right now. In fact, according to Outkick 360, he is. Then they sucked with Joe Burrow for the first year. Guess what? They had the fifth overall pick. They drafted his teammate from LSU, Jamar Chase, and now the rest is becoming history. That's not a knock from Brandon Bean. That's reality. Teams are built differently from a roster standpoint, and what he's saying is we can't just go out and tank a season to go try and get our Jamar Chase. That's going to be a young receiver and playmaker that way. They are a team that's going to be consistently good, they have been. They will be for the foreseeable future. So they have to get creative in ways they remain that good to be able to contend for a Super Bowl. I feel like, though... I had no problem with what he said. The question is kind of missing the point, though, that he was asked. I mean, the Bengals beat the Bills not because they have Jamar Chase. It's because they ran it all over them, and they won at the point of attack at the line of scrimmage. I mean, they bullied them in the trenches. That's what the game came down to. So, uh, two great quarterbacks. The Bills have their own great wide receiver in Stephon Diggs. And they're also not just mentioning Chase. They're mentioning the wide receiving core in totality. I get it. But it was the run game and solid defense from Cincy that won them that game. And that's what the Bills have to get. They've got to get some semblance of a run game they can lean on. The defense is there. They really miss Von Miller, Chad. You mentioned him. Um it was a Super Bowl or bust expectation for Buffalo. And these are the type of questions you get. Also, you don't have really time to tank anymore if you're a GM. Because you're fired. Well, you're fired. And, I mean, this is a guy that has built a really good roster and good team that's trying to find ways to keep that team in the mix to go win a Super Bowl. That's, that's the goal. We said this year it was Super Bowl or bust for the Bills. Yeah, That remains the case going into next year. So... I think he he did a good job of trying to answer a question and talking about Jamar Chase, but what can he say other than we have to evaluate what we can do? We can't go get the magically get the fifth overall pick in this draft and get someone that's an instant playmaker that way. So we got to get creative. I'm with you, Hutton, on the the gashing of the run game from the Cincinnati, which is crazy. 
in that one. I think a bigger issue in this game, when I, when I look at it and you look at, at both plans, the Bills got outcoached. And that's not to say Sean McDermott, his staff's not really good. Leslie Frazier got outcoached big time as defensive coordinator. I thought Lou Anarumo was terrific uh, with a defensive plan against Josh Allen. I'm evaluating more of that than anything else. Not that anything should happen with the Bills coaches, but if I'm pointing to something that really went wrong, I'm thinking, man, Cincinnati had a superior plan in that game. It wasn't just about players. It was about plan, and their plan was far superior to the Bills in that one game. Doesn't mean that, that Sean McDermott and his staff's not doing a great job, but in that one game, they were outclassed big time. Chad, the votes are in from the AP for the NFL awards. And we've got the finalists. This will be officially announced. This will be, what, the week of the Super Bowl at the NFL Honors Show. Um, in fact, it's already been reported that all but two votes for first place went to Patrick Mahomes um, for, for most valuable players. So it's formality. The, the secret's out there. Um, I do think Jalen Hurts, if he doesn't get injured, is right there with a chance to win most valuable player. I totally Mahomes agree. and Hurts were going back and forth, and then Mahomes took off. They earned the number one overall seed. But I, I think Hurts with that offense would have continued that climb and would ultimately win MVP, which is incredible considering the odds that were stacked against him in a prove-it year. I say stacked against him because no one really expected him to be this good uh, compared to the other finalists. I just said, with the, the thing that surprises me is they, they announced five finalists. Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Justin Jefferson, Patrick Mahomes. When it's already been leaked that Mahomes won all but two first-place votes. And How do you have five finalists for that? I don't know, but also... They're trying to get people... Well, they're trying to get the players to show up to the award show. I think, yeah, they want star power for that NFL honors. That's a, that's a good point. So... I, I think Jalen Hurts, it was going to be his award had he not gotten hurt. I, I, I don't so. think it was just he was in the running. So, I think he was going to be the MVP had that injury not happened. This is where it's intriguing, though, because MVP is a quarterback award. And throughout the season at Outkick, I was writing, for me, Offensive Player of the Year is not going to be a quarterback because MVP is a quarterback award now in the National Football League. But this is where Hurts could actually win the award, is Offensive Player of the Year. Mahomes won it, won both in 2018. He won MVP and he won Offensive Player of the Year. I hope it doesn't go that way. I think Justin Jefferson deserves this. But this may be the consolation prize to Jalen Hurts for getting injured at the end of the regular season before the votes were cast. There is no official protocol here, but it would certainly break protocol if they went with the second-place finisher for MVP. That's a quarterback to go Offensive Player of the Year and not give it to yeah. the best non-quarterback offensive player, which normally is the case. I believe it's going to be Justin Jefferson. Kind of hope it's going to be Justin Jefferson for that very reason because receivers aren't winning MVP. <laughs> it's going to the right. quarterback. No, one so ever, no there, receiver ever has. There should be an award that they can win, which is Offensive Player of the Year. So I, I'm rooting for Justin Jefferson, but I'm also with you that maybe this is a time where voting kind of steps out of normal protocol and gives it to that second-place quarterback in the it MVP race. Could be. Uh, defensive Player of the Year is a no-brainer with Nick Bosa. Hands down, best player. Um, Heard it from Mike Quick just now, how great yeah, he is. I mean, he's unbelievable, and he's, he's cashing in 
it was him and, and Jeffrey Simmons, I said, that was going to really cash in this season. Now, Bosa's on the fifth-year option, and so he's getting paid, what, $10 million or so, whatever it is, uh, plus to play this year. Instead of extending the contract last offseason, he's about to break the bank. I think he's going to be the highest-paid defensive player in the history of the game. Um, with that being said, Micah Parsons... He's going to he, win one. He, yes, he is. And if you went just around... If you ask former players... Um, we had Eddie George. We, we asked him this. Everyone, just best overall football player. The football players will point to Micah Parsons as that guy. Maybe that surprises some people, but the overall like game plan and how much you have to focus on him and where he lines up, I mean, that's extreme value for Dallas's defense. He's also about to get paid, and I'm right there with you. He's going to win one at some point. Comeback player of the year. By the way, with Micah Parsons, yeah. the level of preparation for that guy and scheming and knowing where he is, I, I've heard former players utter the name Lawrence Taylor uh, yes. in the same breath as Micah Parsons. If you want to know a, a comp uh, of how good he is and how highly he's thought of across the league with current and former players, that's it. He's going to win this award one day, but it's not going to be this year. Comeback player of the year could have been Saquon Barkley, except Geno Smith happened. And the comeback player of the year, keep in mind, there is no definition for how you vote for this. You can have the word comeback mean anything you want. So a guy who hasn't done anything throughout his career but back up since he started in New York that goes to Seattle and with zero expectation because they trade away Russell Wilson has the season and performance that he has, he's going to garner a lot of the attention and the votes. It's, it's, you know, it's not going to be this year the traditional guy who got hurt that comes came, back from injury like Saquon have they ever given to someone who was suspended that comes back I don't uh, think so but isn't that an interesting it predicament could, I mean, you could if your comeback player of the year is a guy who serves a you I know, was half a year full year suspension I was intrigued if, if I asked uh, Armando this earlier in the season like have they ever has there been a comeback player of the year in the same year did was, Mike Vick win comeback player of the year oh absolutely well with the Eagles wasn't he one of the finalists for MVP that year? I mean, he went to prison for dogfighting. Did he come out and win NFL Comeback Player of the Year when he finally was the starter? He came back and was excellent. I remember that. Um, I'll have to look that up to see. But that I, it's it just came to mind when you're talking about there's no real criteria. You can make comeback mean whatever you want. If yeah. you're a voter and vote on someone, whether it's they were benched somewhere else and came back or injured. We always think about it as, oh, it's a great inspirational story because someone rallied from injury and came back the next year stronger and had a great year. But it's not always the case. Geno Smith's a good example. Yeah, and um, you know Brian Robinson, I think, deserves to be a finalist in this. Incredible. He shot in August, comes back, and is the, he, he was the, named the starter as the rookie in Washington. Um, has to miss, what, four weeks, five weeks? Incredible comeback in the same year to play and perform at the level he did as the rookie back in Washington. Coach of the year. Mike Vick, by the way, 2010 NFL Comeback Player of the Year. Okay. Won it. Was that this final, the season after? I'm just, I'm giving you all the different ways you can come back. You can go to prison and come back to well, the NFL and then you're Comeback Player of the Year. Yeah. Um, again, like I, you can make up your own definition. This one's pretty easy. In the 12-year history of the honor when it was given out in 2010, no player has returned from jail to earn it. <laughs> Until Mike Vick, making history. Make a movie. Um, Coach of the year is simple, right? Brian Dayball. Is it that simple? I think it is. I think there could be consideration for Doug Peterson. 
because I'll, Dayball was more successful from start to finish Yes, with the Giants, but the notoriety of the train wreck that was Urban Meyer with Jacksonville and what Doug Peterson inherited because of that and the season they had, getting to winning the division, I, getting the playoffs. I think he's about I a month he, late, though. I think he gets some consideration, Hutton, but I believe it's Dayball's job. I mean, it's Dayball's award to win. The job he did merits that, but slight consideration of Doug Peterson. Two, two areas here that there's no way you can... You can't be great for so long and be mentioned in Coach of the Year. Case in point is Andy Reid. As consistent as they come, right? Great job this year by Andy Reid. They trade away Tyreek Hill. Mahomes gets all the credit for that. Andy Reid and what they've done there and, and just routinely hosting the AFC Championship game. The other one's Zach Taylor. We mentioned the Bengals, again, sneaking up on people going into the postseason. No one talks about Zach Taylor in the same breath as Andy Reid. But he's, he, I mean, discuss consistency. That guy paired with Burrow has been excellent. And you mentioned the, the matchup between the Bills and Bengals came down to coaching and game plan. Taylor, the only postseason game he's lost is the Super Bowl. It's, it's remarkable, the job he's done. You're right, he's very underrated for that reason. And let's give some love to Kyle Shanahan, another finalist here that we haven't even mentioned yet that could be going to a Super Bowl with a third-string quarterback and Mr. Irrelevant. If that's not coach of the year material, I, I don't know what is. I mean, he's, he's got to get some marks for that. Clearly, he's a finalist, but yeah. I'm with you. I think it's Brian Dayball with what he did with the Giants, but all three of these guys, very deserving. So... Brock Purdy deserves more attention for Offensive Rookie of the Year than what he's getting. He's a finalist. I think Kenneth Walker III will win it, Chad, uh, because of the all-purpose yards that he had in Seattle. It's not just the rushing yards. Garrett Wilson was very good, yes. and he played with some awful quarterbacks. And regardless of who he was playing with, he put up numbers. So um, he's setting records for the Jets in a rookie season. And meanwhile, Kenneth Walker III doesn't start until October the, whatever the second Sunday in October was. It was week six. He didn't start until week six, and he's probably going to be Offensive Rookie of the Year. I really want Purdy to win this. I know it's probably going to be Walker, but we, we asked it two or three weeks in, how long do you have to play to get consideration when you enter the season so late the way Purdy did? But they're riding a nine-game winning streak now with him. At quarterback? Yeah. Um, I, I think it should go to Purdy. Sauce Gardner and uh, Tariq Woolen are battling for defensive rookie of the year. And I think all the attention goes to the top five pick in Gardner. He was excellent. He is the first, I believe he's the first Jet corner to be a rookie and make all pro. He's your all pro at corner. He's winning the award. He's also got a great nickname, so that's going to help him. And anything that's voting, anything subjective, the guy with the great nickname always gets a boost, and I think that Sauce Gardner will get that boost. Assistant coach of the year, the finalist, Ben Johnson in Detroit, D'Amico Ryans in San Fran, and St uh, Shane Steichen in Philly. Uh, to me, it goes to the guy who's going to be a head coach this year, and that's D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico Ryans, uh, buy stock in that guy. The cameras were all over him on Fox. On By the way, 47 million people, I believe, watched that yeah. game. Second in, second in history. But anyway, D'Amico Ryans, um, terrific job 
with that 49ers defense. I'm with you, Hutton. He's going to be a head coach very soon. Should be in Houston. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Uh, coming up, we'll switch gears. We've got a, 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 an article that uh, Colin sent us this morning. If people were given four extra hours in a day, what would America u- Americans use those hours for? And I think the responses will surprise you. Maybe I, mine will. I think the top response is BS. I'll, I'll explain. Agree. I'll explain That's why I believe that. Next on Outkick 360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Chad, if you had four extra hours in the day, what would you do with that time? I'll kick 360 continues. We, Americans were polled on this. 60% of Americans agree that there are not enough hours in the day. I'd like to be a part of the 40%. Like, did some people vote, yeah, I have too many hours in the day? Yeah. I would the, say 100% of Americans would vote that there are not enough hours in the day. Those people need to be diagnosed with depression, yeah. uh, clinical <laughs> depression immediately. <laughs> if you're, This could be a great way to just you know, weed out people that, that may need some help, is to go through and they say, you know, there's way too many hours in the day. That's my biggest problem with the day. 24 hours, way too many uh, those people probably, that's a cry for help, I think. So 60% of Americans said there aren't enough hours in the day and that the average person needs four more hours every day to get everything done. Chad, 34% responded by saying they would do household chores. Yeah, well, I mean, what is, uh, what is everything? I guess is my, my first question there, to get everything done. Um, I guess everything that you want to accomplish that day. Well, no, I mean, no one that has any uh, goals or ambition at all is ever going to accomplish everything they want in a day. So it's either you you did your task in front of you for the day, and it was a busy day or it wasn't, or you didn't. But to say that I can't get everything, it's just a very broad word to me to think about getting everything done in a day. And I also think people are lying. If they had four (laughs) extra hours in the day, they would do what they want to do. And what people don't want to do is chores. So they're not going to do that. No, they would have sex and do drugs. They're going to, yes, or drink or watch TV or uh, go to the movies yep. or do something like that. <laughs> That's what people do with those four hours. So the people are lying. The people that were polled in this, they're, they're lying. Now, I will say, um, the whole chore thing, like just mm-hmm. keeping your house clean yes. or getting little things done that you need to get done, that to me is just the, like the last thing you want to do. So I understand the psychology of if I had four more days, maybe I would get to all those things and my house would be spick and span. I'd get all the laundry done. uh, All the dishes would be put away at all times. I can understand that mentality, but I don't think it's true. Given four more hours in a day, people are going to do what they want to do. You know, a dirty home, like a, you know, just the lack of cleanliness does bug a lot of people. I wouldn't like to have a, you know, a messy house. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I couldn't get it done on my own. I've got a buddy who wakes up every day, and he's like on, on a timer almost. He vacuums the what? room he's going to be in every day. I mean, he's got OCD, clearly. 
but he has yeah. to like it's it's like his day is scheduled out where he puts the, the coffee in at a certain time right. to come out like he goes and works out at a certain time you know, like Nick Saban with the little Debbie cakes or yeah. whatever he's Tom he, Brady he vacuums like <laughs> the room he's in has to be vacuumed like he cannot be in an unvacuumed room wow yeah so I, I, you know, they they do say Hutton for those successful yep. people that uh-huh. one of the signs of highly successful people is uh, same bedtime routine. Wake yeah. up the same time. Yes. Stick to a routine. Mm-hmm. These are things that highly successful individuals do throughout well, the day. And those highly day. successful individuals would work more if you were gave them four more hours per day. A lot of them would. Yes. For they, sure. And, would they do and, chores? And by the way, everyone's employer would want you to work more if you had four more hours in your day. So you'd still need four more hours. That's the reality of this poll. You think that the, the common workday would extend by four hours, and then yeah. those four Our hours you thought you got, <laughs> you wouldn't even have it? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> Man, I mean, would... with the extra four hours. I think you're on to something, Hudden. I mean, that's, this would just be something The highly that successful further... people have people working for them that would be working more often for those highly successful people. It would further control the working class with the four extra hours. Yes. The freedoms you think you have now... Some of those would be eliminated because your workday would now become much I, longer. I, and this is my honest reaction when I read this. I would try to watch one of the shows on your list. Like I, one of the 10 that Chad has been able to watch over the last 12 months. I want to watch one of those and commit time to it and enjoy it the way I've enjoyed some shows in the past. That I, by the end of the night, I'm just like, you know what? Let me go down the YouTube wormhole again. See, on most weeknights, Let me watch clips. my answer would be I'd watch three of those shows that I want to get to, even though I've seen all the ones you want to watch. Yeah. i just watch three more of those and solace while my <laughs> kids are asleep. And there's no one there to bother me. Well, with four more hours, you would not be able to get as much done because your kids would have, you'd have more ball practices. Yeah. You'd have at least one more tryout in your week. I'll tell you what I would not be doing also, Hutton, chores. That's definitely something fair I wouldn't enough. do with those four hours. Yeah, fair enough. Headlines when we return. The 2023 Baseball Hall of Fame votes are back, and, and they're confusing. We have a beef with the Hall of Fame voters next.